0: This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney. And this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel graph faith just isn't gonna cut it in the chaos that it surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. I uh, want to share just a couple things with you before we begin looking at the scripture. Um, Kind of looking over the last 18 months uh, to two years, it was amazing. Justice was talking about um, the utmost for his highest in 2019. And that's right towards the end of that year, COVID hit. Do you remember? And life has never been the same. We had this unprecedented draconian lockdown of our society. We've had a lot of people pass away because of COVID, even in our own church, uh, businesses have gone out of business. Uh, You go to a restaurant today, and it's like half full, and a lot of the fast food restaurants don't even have indoor dining anymore. They can't get people to work. Our government printed billions and trillions of dollars to be able to sustain people, and of course, it had kind of a negative effect. Well, people realized they could just stay home and make more than they could um, going to work. I mean, it's just a it's our nation has really never recovered from the COVID lockdowns and from everything that happened. Those lockdowns uh, by our government still, they still want to institute those. They're still talking about vaccines. They're still talking about another variant of COVID. The um, it's just, it's just kind of crazy. We had January six. Uh, after that time we had a contested, many people believe a stolen election. You know, we had the, the same thing happened in 2022. We've had Supreme Court rulings where half the population now, because they overruled Roe versus Wade, it says we don't have to follow the Supreme Court anymore. I mean, it's kind of amazing. There was a, a police shooting that took place in Atlanta two days ago. And so they had this night of rage. And if you've looked at the news today, it's like what happened in Minneapolis uh, and Ferguson all over again. And it's like it just never stops. We've Uh, gotten involved in a proxy war in Ukraine to the point that we're depleting our own military surplus at an alarming rate. We have drawn down the strategic uh, petroleum reserves to an alarming rate. Um, There's a war brewing over in uh, China right now. They're preparing for war and we're just kind of rattling sabers and it seems like it never ends. And all this has happened since 2019. I mean, it's been a crazy couple of years, has it not? Absolutely insane couple of years. So much so that the trust of many of our institutions has just kind of um, gone by the wayside. If you're a patriot, if you're patriotic, somehow that makes you racist. If you're white, then obviously you have the systemic racism, racism in you and um, you've been too entitled and stuff of that nature. We've got cities like San Francisco that are passing, I can't believe this, they're actually passing mandates that they're going to pay reparations to uh, anybody who was a black slave like $5 million. I don't know where they come up with that money. And I don't know what percentage of black you have to be to qualify for that and then give you guaranteed income for the next like 200 years. I mean, excuse me, uh, do you realize the trillions or quadrillions of dollars we're talking about here? I mean, it's crazy. This stuff's going on. And so I was started thinking about the stuff that we've talked about since all this started, uh, especially over the last 18 months. And we spent a good amount of time talking about the end times, because once you see the end, especially from the beginning, you're able to get a bird's eye view of what's going to happen. Therefore, you're prepared for it emotionally, but most importantly, you're prepared for it spiritually. And the only way for us to be prepared for what's happening spiritually is to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. We I first started teaching about the Holy Spirit, I don't know, 2015, almost been a year talking about that, and we've constantly talked about the importance of us having an intimate relationship with that person of the Trinity. You know, Jesus is the one we can most relate to because all the movies are about Jesus. God the Father, we think Sistine Chapel and sitting on the throne and lightning and thunder on Mount Sinai, and it's kind of hard to relate to someone we can't put a face to, and the Holy Spirit is like this wispy, the force be with you kind of thing, but it's the Holy Spirit that interacts with us here. God the Father sitting on his throne, Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, and everything God does in our lives right now is done by the person of the Holy Spirit. But then that makes us sometimes afraid because then we've got these fanatical wings that you know, assume the Holy Spirit does stuff he really doesn't do. And so as former Baptists, we're kind of scared of the Holy Spirit, but we spent quite a bit of time talking about that because it's the Holy Spirit who's going to empower us and energize us. And he's the one that gives us the spiritual gifts that are so needed today. We've talked about part of the end times being the great apostasy And so we've looked a lot at deception. We even looked at deception regarding salvation, about the difference between conversion and regeneration. Conversion is when I place my faith in the Lord Jesus and say a prayer and align to some sort of principle teaching. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit takes my faith and turns me into a new person. You can have conversion without regeneration and think you're a Christian and not. Uh, that's exactly what happened to me for so many years. And we spent some time talking about that. And over this last year, we've had this focus of trying to go back and recapture or at least understand church and the Christian life and worship and prayer from the vantage point of the Bible rather than from what we've just become comfortable to in our own life. And so we've, I've kind of phrased it going back to Acts We saw the fact that when the Holy Spirit came upon people in the book of Acts, they had dudamas, explosive, miracle-working power. And if it was true back then, it should be true for the church today, and it never will be unless we first believe that it's possible. And we've spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about what a worship service looked like from a biblical standpoint. We just did this about six weeks ago and just dealt with just small segments of that. Then we talked about the fact that uh, in a worship service, something that we hold on to doctrinally, but um, hardly ever embrace in real life is this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, which means you are a priest as much as a professional priest is that you have direct access to God. You don't have to go through an intermediary, a human intermediary, Mary or the pastor or some pope or something of that nature. You can pray. You can have bold access to the uh, Holy of Holies in the book of Hebrews. We've talked about that, which means practically playing out that when you get together as a corporate body, that if you have a song Or a verse or something God has shown you, that you're just as free to share it there as the person moderating the meeting, correct? Same way in church. So as we've been focusing the last couple weeks, instead of thinking about church and how we're supposed to act, let's think like this is a big family and be able to share things and you know what God has shown you. I need to know because otherwise how can I, how can we embrace the fullness of Christ if part of his body remains silent? On Tuesday night, especially, and of course we've talked about it some in here, we started thinking about what true worship is all about. Scripture says, Jesus says that the true worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth because God is spirit And therefore we have to worship him, not the way we're used to, but worship him with the part of us, not our body and not our soul, but our mind, but part of us that is just like him. And how does that work? What does that look like? What, how, how is that experience like? And again, we've just introduced these topics over the last several months that we're going to be digging a little deeper into on Tuesday nights and on, um, on Sunday. And then Tuesday, for example, we talked about how to pray in the spirit. Uh, what happens when the Holy Spirit prays for you with groans and utterings, you know that cannot be understood? What is that you praying in tongues? No, if you'll read the passage, those groans and utterings are the Holy Spirit praying through you. And we talked a little bit about that on, uh, on Tuesday, just trying to position ourselves. Spiritually, to be everything God wants us to be. And it all boils down to this higher Christian life that we first started talking about in 2020. And if you want another name for the higher Christian life, it simply means to have a Christian life filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are filled with Him, that you're endued with His power, that He's manifesting His presence in your life, and and lives are being changed because of this. This is what we've been talking about, and there's a, um, there's a reason for that. For years, what I would do is I would take the book of Romans, and we would start at Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and we kind of go through Romans, and I really love doing that. It's kind of my gift to be able to take it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, and see exactly what it says and how to apply it to our lives. But Not a totally true statement, but by and large, for the most part, the time for that is past. In other words, uh, studying God's word systematically, you know, we're going to have other times to do that, like Tuesday night. um, Although we do take some detours like we're taking now and sometimes on Sunday. But we're at a more crisis tipping point right now than you knowing And going through this study of Ecclesiastes, for example, there's other things we need to talk about that are far more pressing. Does that make sense? Not not saying that that's not important, and we will get to that, and I'll explain to you how we're going to be doing that at the end of uh, the message. But there are other things that are far more pressing, especially as we begin to see our, um, our culture begin to decline in front of us. I was reading an article this week, and it was talking about if our fathers or our grandfathers could look at America today, they would think that we've all gone crazy, literally crazy. And what you and I are afraid of is offending perverts. Do you realize that? We're afraid of offending someone who is a male, wants to be a female, and then has a pronoun of a them and they. And our nation says that if I call them Bob or him, that somehow, and this has actually happened in other countries, I can be arrested and thrown in jail and charged with a crime. I mean, it's crazy what's going on right now. And the only thing that stands against the darkness taking completely over And poisoning this land for our children and our grandchildren is the light in us, the church. And if we don't get that light out somehow, what a terrible place Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be for our kids and grandkids. Would you not agree? There are pressing issues that we need to talk about. So today, we're basically just going to be... uh, giving you kind of an update and share with you kind of where we're going to be heading so that you'll have an understanding generally the direction we're going. And by asking these three questions, you know, what is the end goal? What is the Lord's will for each of us? And why do we, why do we feel, I feel especially, that uh, time's running out, that uh, the time for playing church is over. And what we need to do is focus on, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, being the church. And I want to introduce this topic to you by uh, introducing you to one man, a man named Tim Keller. This is Tim Keller. Most of you may or may not know who he is. Um, He's a very well-known Christian author. He pastors a Redeemer Presbyterian church in New York city. He founded that church. It went from like 50 people to like 8,000. It has many different campuses. He's a little more progressive, progressive, than we are, so therefore he's not—he's uh, not a Paul Washer or some of the guys that that uh, we kind of follow. But nevertheless, the community, the Christian community at large, Gospel Coalition and stuff of that nature, have his writings. He's written several books that were New York Times bestsellers. I am not at all recommending him. I just want you to know that in Christian circles, in the broad base of Christian circles. He's, uh, he's what we would be known as a heavy hitter. He was born September 23rd, 1950. Again, he was founder and pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, a really rough place to actually start a church, but uh, but he, nevertheless, he did. And he's written many books. Uh, three in particular were New York Times bestsellers. I have not read any of these. As I said, Tim Keller is a little more progressive than, uh, than I am. But uh, he wrote The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith, Prayer, Experience, Awe, and Intimacy with God, and the Reason for God, Belief in the Age of Skepticism. He's very successful, speaks at all the conferences, writes the books, makes probably big bucks, is well known everywhere, and he renounced in June of 2020 that he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm shocked from my experience with pancreatic cancer, that he's still alive. He's feeble. He's constantly on podcast right now, constantly um, talking about his disease, talking about how it's affecting his spiritual life, and his message from somebody who's five years older than I am, who's been very successful in ministry, his message is this, and these are quotes from Tim Keller. These are quotes from an article that just came out this last week in church leadership that says this, despite the pain and fear associated with cancer, Kathy, which is his wife, and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life and spiritual life we had before the cancer. Never. Really? Why? Your spiritual, I mean, wasn't your life good? Well, sure. Things were good and God had done amazing things through me and I spoke and baptized people and wrote books and highly successful. And then all of a sudden I found out that I had an expiration date. All of a sudden I found out that tomorrow may not be guaranteed to me. I have stage four pancreatic cancer. There's pain and there's suffering. He talks about, um, he talks about having not anxiety, but scan, scan, He calls it, which is the fear he has every time they do a body scan to see how much his cancer has progressed. And if you've known somebody who's had cancer, you know how that works. Nevertheless, since he realized his time was short, all of a sudden, Tim Keller no longer took things um, as frivolously as he did before he realized soon he's going to meet his maker soon he's going to have to account for the things he did in the in the flesh and with the holy spirit and soon he was going to hear from his lord well done good and faithful servant or what were you thinking or whatever's going to happen and life changed for him another quote i realized i never really did believe i was going to die we never really believe Jesus is coming soon. We never really believe tomorrow is going to be any different than today. At some deep level, I just didn't. Looking back on it, I just don't think there's any way to go through the change that happens in you when you know that are really that you really are going to die. Well, what change is that, Tim? The way you look at your time, the way you look at God, the way you look at your spouse. The way you look at everything just changes when you actually realize
1: time is limited and you're not, uh, and that you are mortal and not immortal. Finishes with this. Frankly, summing up his life before and after his
0: diagnosis, I would have lived a better life if if I had come to this realization sooner. I'm closer to where I should have been. Most of my life, I am closer to where I should have been most of my life because I realize life does not rock on forever. I don't have days to waste. I can't frivolously do the things that I want to do that. The day of reckoning is coming. This is one blessing that happens when we Understand that nothing lasts forever, to quote the Keith Green song, except the the grace of God, and also living in the realization and the expectation that Jesus is coming soon. Or um, the world situation is getting so chaotic that it sets the scene for Jesus coming soon. Or God's judgment on our nation is imminent to the point that maybe life will be different than we've ever known it before or whatever you want to fill in. We have a tendency of believing that life is always going to be like it is now. I did until this last five years. And it's like it's, it's on this collision course with something and it doesn't seem like we can do
1: anything to stop it. So where are we right now? Where are we prophetically right now? I'm going to
0: give you just three sections of scripture. I'm going to just read a few of these verses. I want you to go home and read them yourself to get a general idea of what's happening in our culture, in our nation, what's happening happening to everybody on the planet right now based on what God's word says. And the first one, of course, is Matthew chapter 24. And we're not going to be talking about verse 15 and following that deals with this great tribulation. What we're going to be talking about is some of the things that happened prior to that. You know, if you understand end times eschatology, you've got the event we're looking for is this, you know, tribulation period happening, the 70th week of Daniel. We don't... uh, uh, we don't know really when it begins. Some people think it begins with the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church could happen prior to that. There's biblical support that the rapture of the church won't happen until the midpoint of the tribulation period, which is not a real pleasing thought Um uh, for a lot of people, we do know what happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. The antichrist sits down on the bema seat and demands to be worshipped as God. God then pours His wrath out. The last three and a half years are horrific. It's actually the last three and a half years that are known as the Great Tribulation period. And so, you know, we know that's coming. But what we don't realize is that in order for that to completely come to fruition, there's a certain things that have to take place. Number one, Israel has to be back in the land, and you know what? After 2,000 years, they are. May 14th, 1948, and they're the center of turmoil continuously. We also know that um, there has to be a a movement for a one-world government. We do know that there has to be some sort of... Movement towards a cashless society because eventually people will have to take a mark or some sort of symbol uh that represents the Antichrist in order to buy and sell nations are moving into digital currency i don't know I don't know I can't tell you the last time I used cash for anything um it's i mean we're we're already there. I remember when credit cards came out way back when these old country preachers would be talking about pretty soon no cash anymore and it's, it's like that's that's happening right now. There's a lot of things that need to take place. One of the things that has to take place is Israel, of course, at some point in time will have to make an agreement with the Antichrist for its safety because of its uh, the, the dangers against it because the United States is not going to be there to be the protector of Israel anymore, which means for us during the period prior to the tribulation that America has to be downgraded to maybe a No longer a huge world player. And I don't know if you've been noticing, but those chess pieces are getting set up in an alarming rate right now to be able to happen. Matthew chapter 24. Let's just read the first 14 verses. You know, Jesus departing from the temple and, um, It says in verse number one, it says, Jesus was down and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. See how big these are and mighty these are. These are incredible. Wow, our religion is based on God showing up in this temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That was cataclysmic to them. They could not understand how the Jewish faith could exist without a temple. And here Jesus was saying, everything they revered, everything that was built, this is Herod's temple, by the way, uh, would all be destroyed. So privately, they took him off to the Mount of Olives. And verse number, or They talked to him at the Mount of Olives, verse number three. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, his disciples, and when we get to Mark, we find out that those disciples are specifically J- uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, the inner circle came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And as I've shared with you a dozen times, Jesus answers that questions, these three questions in Matthew chapter 24, but he doesn't delineate question one, question two, and question three. He lumps them all together and gives us kind of a chronological uh, detail of things that are going to happen. These things that are happening right now in the beginning are happening, being fulfilled today. Verse four, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Many will come and say, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity believes. And we find right now the church splintered in a million different ways. Some, the church, some of them hold on to biblical orthodoxy and it's okay to ordain women. It's okay to ordain gays. If you, if you see some of the articles that I get daily of things that are going on to churches right now where they'll have a worship service and bring a drag queen out, a transvestite drag queen out, to basically give the little message to the kids that are up front under the auspices of some Episcopal church or Lutheran church or something of that nature. It is absolutely horrific and is happening all the time with increasing intensity, saying, no, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus believes. This I am the Christ six you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars oh yeah we're closer now to world war three than we have been in a long time we have the uh other than us i would assume the most powerful nuclear nation threatening almost daily to nu- use tactical nukes in ukraine if we keep sending arms to them or nato keeps sending arms to them we have china rattling its saber getting ready to uh Uh, invade Taiwan. Israel can be invaded at any time right now. It's absolutely a crazy time to live. And we're in the middle of this trying to mitigate as the guarantor of everybody's safety. And you're finding it's even increasing wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilence is plural, and earthquakes in various places. When it talks about nations, it's talking about, uh, it can also mean ethnic groups and kingdoms and stuff of that nature. And we find all this going on And Jesus says, this is just the beginning of labor. It's just the beginning of birth pains. The new King James uses the phrase sorrows, but it means the sorrow that comes from the pain associated with childbirth. You women who have had children know exactly what it's like. You husbands only think, us husbands only think we know what it's like, but uh you remember correctly, all of a sudden it gets close to that time for birth and those contractions start and they're, somewhat painful in the beginning and you kind of measure them and count them and they become more painful as time goes on and closer together and in greater intensity. And when they reach a certain point, you go to the doctor's office or go to the hospital and maybe they give you Pitocin or something to, to uh, complete those. And towards the very end, the last couple contractions, or if you've ever watched call the midwife, the last couple contractions, you know, before the baby comes are the most painful and, and, It's Jesus says that all these events take place, they're all converging together to a point, and each one gets more intense than the other one, and each one gets closer to the other one. So they're happening with, they're happening in increasing frequency. Just look over the last five or six years with increasing
1: intensity. So, what happens when we're in that situation? Jesus
0: said, you will suffer persecution. Because why is that? Well, we're the only people that refuse to accept what's going on in the world right now. No, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And I don't care what you tell me, I'm not going to... Disagree with that. If I'm breaking the law by calling my son my son, that's just the way it is. If they take my kid from me and want to forcefully change physically his sex, what, I'm going to sit back and let that happen? It's the church. It's the Christ. It's the light that stands against all this incredible encroaching darkness. And if you're that kind of believer, do not be deceived. The Bible says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, do you remember? Will suffer persecution. And I learned this back in 2014 and 2015 when the Supreme Court decided to legalize gay marriage. That they're not letting us hide in our little cocoons anymore and let the big boogeyman be out there. If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. No, they're coming after us. They're refusing to let us hold on to biblical truth. And so therefore, verse nine, then he will, then they will deliver you to tribulation, they, not just one person, and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another, and many false prophets will rise up, saying that we are wrong and they are right, and deceive many, and because of lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold. We are right at the beginning phase of that. Never thought it would happen in our nation, but it's here. You can deny it if you want. You can live in your cocoon if you want. You can watch the NFL playoffs and not think about anything else and think that everything tomorrow is going to be just like it was today. But if you look back the last four or five years, what you thought today would be like five years ago, it's nothing like you thought it would be like. True?
1: Why is this happening? I mean, what's going on? Well, that, uh, that takes us to uh,
0: the second passage we're going to look at, which is in Romans chapter 1. I want you to understand exactly what you're dealing with here you're dealing with the third and final curse of God when he's bringing judgment on a nation. This is not just the sins of people going full bore. It's actually God judging his people. And as I've shared with you before, you should already know this in Romans chapter one, there's three times where it says that God gave them up. God gave them up to this sin God gave them up to this sin, and finally God gave them up to this. The first thing God gave them up to was to sexual immorality. Um, says uh, in verse number 24, because they refused to accept him, because they refused to believe in him, before they exchanged his greatness for just some created being, verse 24 says, therefore God gave them up judgment number one, to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among each other, among themselves. This was the sexual revolution it took place in the 60s. Make love, not war, and all that kind of stuff that went on. And I remember in the um, in the when I was just a I don't know, eight or nine years old in a Baptist church, the pastor would just rail against the fact that someday you're gonna have porn, just just Full porn that you would be able to pipe in for free into your own homes and watch them. That's worse than that. Now we carry those little receptacles of porn around in our pockets. And the fact is, if you look at some of the surveys, they talk about the fact that the average age of uh, a child who's first introduced to porn online is 11. 11, whether they're Christian or not. And it's addictive, and, and it's not, we don't even care about it anymore. Many Christians just go to movies anyway that have full frontal nudity because, hey, the story's real good. I don't really care. And it's a curse of God that came. And we saw it happening in the 60s, and it played out in the 70s and 80s, the music videos and stuff of that nature. And then all of a sudden, in the late
1: 90s, the second curse took over. That's in verse number 27. It says likewise, the men also.
0: I'm sorry, uh, verse number twenty six. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Well, so these are not passions for each other. You know, sexual lust. Now, these passions are homosexual in nature. But gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use. Uh, For what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Back in the 50s, you know, you had um, um, Rock Hudson and a couple of the other actors that came out that they were kind of gay and oh, it was a big scandal. I had no idea. Now, It's like if you're not gay, there's something wrong with you. If you're not bisexual, what's wrong with you? And you're gay or bisexual or transsexual or pansexual or whatever sexual you want to be. And it's the way of life right now. And if you say anything against it, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. You're homophobic, you're a racist, you get canceled. It's terrible. It's a curse from God. And out of nowhere, what used to be talked about in a closet all of a sudden is paraded as natural. It's just what life is. Matter of fact, you read some comments of movie stars who had uh, have their children. Hey, are you um, giving birth to a boy? Well, I'm not really making that decision yet, whether he's a boy or not. I'm going to wait until he gets older and let them or it or whatever decide. Really? And this is the stuff that's just, it's a curse. And then over the last five or six years, there's been this, this word called narcissism, where it's like the number one searched word, by the way, in 2022, narcissism. And everybody's a narcissist and gaslighting and, and all this kind of stuff. And you wonder, what is this narcissistic? How can people be so cold and only care about themselves and be, and be that way? It's a curse. It's a depraved mind. People ask me, what is the definition of narcissism? And I want to tell you what it is. I'm going to read it to you right here. Verse number um, 28. Here is the definition of this curse of God, this mental illness that is taking over our culture and all our institutions. And even as they did not like to retain God in their, uh, retain in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased, reprobate, perverted mind to do the things which are not fitting. So that's in their mind now, and now because it's in their mind, they're actually acting out things that are not fitting. So describe to me what a narcissist is. Sure, they're being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetedness, it's greed, maliciousness. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They're evil minders evil-minded, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, then the unwords, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgments of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, yet they don't even care. Their minds are seared that they only not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Is there a cure from narcissism? Sure, Christ. But a narcissist will almost never come to Christ because they refuse to believe there's anything wrong with them. And in order to come for salvation, you first must realize your loss. This is a mental illness that is permeating every fiber in our land right now in your families, in my families, and the people that we meet, and the people that we work with. It is a horrific place we're at right now, and there's no end up in sight. It doesn't talk about an antidote. It doesn't talk about how, you know, things can change. What it talks about is things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until Christ finally
1: comes. Last one, Revelation chapter 6. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. You know these passages. Basically, um, teaches the exact same thing. Here's what happens to a society
0: when it's all getting to the point that Christ is soon to return. We don't know when he's going to return, but we know things have got to be far more cataclysmic than they are now. And we're heading as a nation, as a culture, we're heading off the cliff faster than I I even thought would happen. Chapter 6. Revelation. Now, when I saw the lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. Now he's opening these seals, and these things are happening worldwide. There's precursors of this precursors of this happening now. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he sat on it, had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And uh, this is a stufanus crown. This is a, like a crown you get if you win a prize. This is not a ruling diadem. This is not Christ. This is the Antichrist. This is deception. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Deception, Jesus said, is the first thing that would happen. Then all of a sudden there would be wars and rumors of wars. That's horse number. uh, That's the second seal, the second horseman. Verse 3. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there should be given to him a great sword. This is nation against nation. Plus, what peace? We don't even have peace in our neighborhoods. We don't have peace within our own families. We don't have peace anywhere in our government or even in the church right now. And when it talks about you know, conflict on earth, I read an article that said, if you can get your mind around this, that worldwide, there's been over 1.4 billion Billion unborn children died through abortion.
1: What is God going to sit back and just say nothing about that forever? That conflict on earth. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and
0: behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst, uh, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarters of barley for denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. A denarius back then was the average wage a laborer made in a day. So you're going to be working all day long and only have enough food for you. I mean, it's in hyperinflation. It's, it's, uh, huge scarcity, it's going to be famine that takes place, but not for everybody because the elite will still have everything that they want. The world economic forum guys, they're going to be okay because it says uh, do not harm the oil and the wine, which only the rich can have. And then of course, the fourth seal in verse number seven, verse number uh, says, uh, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed him and power was given to them all the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death and with the beast of the earth. And those beasts could be microscopic. This is the pestilences that Jesus was talking about. We've come through COVID and now there's this going on and you know, there's these genetic viruses that are being made by man and unleashed on populations at this time. There's all the problems that people are experiencing from taking the vaccine and stuff of like that. And it's an, it's an incredible turbulent time that we're living. Wasn't like this five years
1: ago, but it's just come upon us. Bam, 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 bam. Can you see it? So where are we right now? And what can we expect over the next 18 months? I'm, I'm doing this
0: not to frighten you. Because the truth is, what can we expect over the next 12 months? And I'll tell you why in just a few minutes. But we'll give it 18 since nobody really knows the future. Here's what you can expect. You can expect economic turmoil. I will show you why in just a few minutes. Inflation, possibly even hyperinflation. You can expect deception and falsehood and lies. Do you believe anything the media tells you? Do you believe anything that our government tells you? If the FBA or the CDC or some organization comes out and tells you this is the way it is, do you believe them? Do you believe what our military says or what our our, uh, commanding generals say about what we need to do and not do? I mean, do you believe anything anybody says anymore? I mean, we don't even believe a lot of what the church says unless we line it up with Scripture. Well, what about Fox News? What about uh, Tucker Carlson? I mean, Tucker Carlson says some things. I'm surprised he's still on the air. Do you know why Tucker Carlson is allowed to say the things that he says? Because it's a pressure valve. that They gave a guy like Tucker Carlson or somebody like that the ability to, to say what he says. Like this week, he actually went on the air and says that the CIA was behind the assassination of John Kennedy. And we all go, yes, I knew that. And now we're all focused on that and not on what's really happening in uh, the World Economic Forum. It's, it's, It's all by design. I mean, if Tucker Carlson, for example, was saying things in his monologue that the elites did not want him to say, he wouldn't be saying it. But since he is allowed to say it by people that are part of the, we'll just call them the elite, the fact is they don't care that we believe those things as long as we're not looking at the things they don't want us to see. Can you understand? It's all part of a should I use the word conspiracy? Grand conspiracy, yeah, yeah, a shell game. As a matter of fact, I um, I saw this T-shirt that I was going to buy, and I will if I ever have a washboard here rather than a blimp. But anyway, I was going to buy this T-shirt that simply said, "I need new conspiracy theories because all my old ones came true." You know, I mean, this is how we're living right now: deception, falsehood, and lies. Jesus said that if it was true if it was possible that even the elect could lose their salvation by believing these falsehoods they would but we know oops excuse me but we know that they can't we're going to have war regional wars um i mean what is anybody in here not believe china's going to attack taiwan i mean what they're doing right now sending i don't know if you even look at this stuff i mean almost every day they're sending jets and and ships and they're just planning they're practicing uh, all the, um, there attacks against Taiwan. If you'll read some of the military journals, they're talking about, well, we're coming up with this and we've got this and you know, this should be operational to ward that off in 2026. Yeah. Okay. They're practicing in 2022 and 23 for an invasion in 2026. What's going to happen when that happens? We've agreed to what go to war against China on the other side of the world. And at the other time we're already at war, a proxy war with Ukraine. With, and, and we're depleting our bullets and bombs and Patriot missiles at an alarming rate. Just read the reports. And our strategic uh, petroleum reserve, I mean, it's almost like it's by design to cripple us. So we're going to be unable to fill our obligations. Because there has to be a downgrading of America as a nation. We're going to find narcissism on steroids right now, and it's going to be uh, filtering out and is going to lead to
1: the great apostasy or the deconstruction of faith, as people talk about it. Are you depressed yet? Okay. Let me tell you why this is important. We need to live like Tim Keller, we need to have a vibrant relationship
0: with him, with the Lord. Let me tell you why this is so important. We're just going to look at two today. First one, or one, the first one is economic turmoil and inflation. So, what I did is I went to the Federal Reserve. Uh, this is the current report from last night uh, of the federal funds effective rate. I hope you can see that. If you can't, I'll uh, kind of explain it to you. This is the federal funds effective rate. The, here it says this is from uh, um, July 1st, 1954 to uh, uh, December 1st, 2022. So this is the rate that the Federal Reserve has charged my entire lifetime since 1954, I was born in 55, all the way to currently. Now, if you notice, we're right here. This, is, this, was, Jan- this was December 1st. We really have gone up 50 basis points since then. So the line is really up around five here. And if you look back on it, you go, well, that's not so bad. I mean, that's, that's normal. I mean, this, I remember back here in the 80s, you know, that all of a sudden interest rates were absolutely crazy. That's when Karen and I bought our first home. Our mortgage rate was 12.5%. Credit cards were 30%. The interest rate absolutely went up to almost 20% that they were paying. And and if you'll notice here, this is just our history. Back in 1955, it was maybe 1%. And we're about here right now. And that's not too bad. We get over here and we have the, the 2008 debacle. And all of a sudden, we pumped trillions of dollars into the economy in order to uh, let these businesses that were too big to fail, not fail. Then the government has to somehow pay interest on all these T-bills that they did in order to do that. So they lowered the interest rate to zero. And we had this big housing boom here that took place and money was so cheap and they invested in the stock market, invested in Bitcoin and it became kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden things begin to change And uh, the rate kind of went up and it dropped down here a little bit, and now all of a sudden it's on the rise. Okay, that doesn't look so bad, does it? Until you listen to what the reporters say. And here's what they say it looks like, it looks like we're heading into a recession. Although we, we're going to redefine, you know, redefine recession. It's not uh, two quarters of a negative uh, a GDP. It's now three. And so you don't want to look like it's a recession, but we look like we're going into recession, but it's not going to be real bad. And what we're going to do is have a soft landing. We're going to go into a recession and have a soft landing. Just this week, um, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, um, Party City just went out of business. I can't remember some of the other companies. I've talked about laying off between 10 and 18,000 employers, employees, and so all this stuff is happening. But it's not really in a recession. We're just going to to kind of go through a soft landing. Until you look, and again, if I went, I sorry I couldn't do this. If I went to edit graph here, and what I'm doing is I'm doing looking at the percent here, uh, not seasonally adjusted. And if I if I went to edit graph here, and I looked at another. Uh, graph, which simply says the change in the interest rate
1: over a one year period, this is what it looks like. Now, that's a different picture. Throughout my lifetime, there has never been more than a 1% or
0: marginal change. In the federal effective rate, even back here when the interest rates were way up here, they marginally changed them because there was no panic
1: situation until right here. This is not. Let me let me give you a close up of that so you'll see. This
0: is not never happened in the last 70 years. This is not uh, a soft landing. This is trying to keep your plane from flying into a mountain pulling up as hard as you can. This is where depressions come from. This is, I don't know what to do. We don't know how to stop this. Life is getting crazy right now. What are we supposed to do? And this is the direction we're heading right now. By the way, it's, it's 50 basis points higher now uh, than it was when this graph, which was as of uh, uh, December 1st, 2020, it's getting bizarre. Can you see this? This is just the economic thing. Uh, If I go back, I want you to notice that not in the history of our lifetime, since 1954, has anything even remotely looked like this. And that's where we are right now, going even higher. By the way, has that stopped inflation? No. No, it's going to have to go higher and higher and higher. And the reason why, that's the effective rate, is because we have something called fiat currency. well, I'm trying to explain this to you as best I can. I have a $1 bill and a $20 bill and a $100 bill. By the way, in case you're interested, each of these are worth nothing. Nothing. There's a, we'll take a hundred. The only difference between a hundred and a one has got different number printed on it. And there's an agreement among us that this is technically a hundred times more valuable than this is. But in reality, this is worth nothing. Nothing. It's not based on gold. It's not based on silver. It's not based on any asset. It's based on my belief and the full faith, fidelity, and trustworthiness of the United States. That's kind of waning right now. You know, I can't eat this. I can't plant it in the ground and grow anything. If I wanted to start a fire, it's not going to keep me warm very long, but we have an agreement that this buys something, This buys 20 more of those things,
1: and this buys 100 of those. So what happened? Oh, let me show you this one. This is even better. There it is. Here's a quarter. A quarter's worth one-fourth of
0: these. Prior to 1963, these quarters were actually 90% silver. They are actually based on something, some silver. And we can't have that happen because if we all of a sudden have to base our currency on some asset that we can't have any more currency, than we have assets to back it up. And the governments can't live like they want to live that way. And so they basically quit making these in 1963. And now they have some alloy in here and copper and all the kind of stuff is really not worth much. But if you get a 1963, um, Roosevelt quarter, the silver, I checked this as of last night, the silver value in that quarter is worth $5.43 today. It's called junk silver. And if you don't have any, you might want to get some because it's going up in price like you can't believe. And so here's what our government does. Uh, Tim works at a, uh, has a transmission shop and I have a car that needs some transmission work. So I go to Tim and I say, Tim, how much is it going to cost to get it fixed? He says $1,500. So Tim is willing to take 15 of these sheets of paper with 100 on them in order to do what he does, physical work. He puts hard assets into my car, and I give him 15 of these. He only accepts that because he believes, like I believe, that there's some value in this because there's so many of these chasing so many products, and, you know, that's what happens. So here's what our government does. Our government says, you know what, Um, we need to... um, we need to make sure that people st- still vote Democratic at the next election. COVID has hit. We don't want people to be hurting anymore, so we're going to double people's child care credit. We're going to give everybody like, like $4,000 in free money. We're going to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. We're going to, We're actually going to send foreign aid to Israel to guard against the Palestinians, and we're going to give money to the Palestinians to fight the Israelis, and we're just going to send the money out like crazy, and nobody's going to stop us. And so we crank the printing presses up. And so all of a sudden, there's this trillion and that trillion of dollars that are added to the national debt, $31 trillion right now. And so there's more of these dollars chasing fewer products. And so all of a sudden now... Uh, Tim says, you know, I, I got this guy's, I, I'm only doing one transmission this week. Yeah, uh, This guy wants to give will pay me $2,000. You only pay me 15 I'm going to take the $2,000 over here. Well, that's inflation. Prices are going up. No, prices aren't going up. The value of the dollar is going down. We all know this. But this should show you we're on a collision course, a crash course to bring a, a reckoning to our nation. I can go far more into that, but I won't. Uh, reckoning in our nation right now to bring us to our knees by design. I mean, come on. Uh, McDonald's is hiring a fry cook for almost $40,000 a year. A guy at a college, a guy at a high school with no education, goes in there and flips fries and makes $1,850 an hour. What, in what world does that happen? You know what I mean? Well, it has to happen that way because things are expensive right now. Uh, You can't even get an apartment. You know, I I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a newlywed. We're newlywed. We want to go get an apartment, and the rent is $1,650 a month. I mean, who of us that are maybe 30 plus. I mean, come on, 1650 a month is a massive house payment. And you're getting just a little one bedroom apartment. You can't even buy used cars anymore because they cost what new cars cost in
1: 2015. It's crazy. what's going, And it's not changing. So what do we do? We're not talking about physical prepping. Lord, I just want to ask you, what do we do? What, um, how do, we, how do we prepare for this? By the way, in
0: 1929, when the Great Depression hit, there were a lot of people who became multi-millionaires. People made a tremendous amount of money who had foreknowledge of what was going on, who um, did what the proverb said, you know, didn't hide themselves or uh, didn't hi- hide themselves, but instead went out on the road and, and paid the price. There are other people who were absolutely destitute. The fact of the matter is God has told us as his church, he's told us through his word exactly what's going on, and we can take the necessary steps to prepare ourselves spiritually first for what's going to happen. I've, been, I've used this phrase faith prepper now since 2019. It's basically trying to help us have the kind of faith that we can believe God will multiply loaves and fishes for our family if he needed to do that. It's graduate level kind of faith, and we're going to be talking about that uh, during this next year, how to increase our faith to be able to be the kind of Christians that trusted him like they did in the book of Acts, that I don't have anything, and what I did have, I've given to somebody else, yet God's going to meet every one of our needs, the Matthew 6, kind of believer who seeks God's first and his kingdom and his righteousness and worries about nothing else. I'm going to hopefully begin this this week teaching us how to study God's word, how to become priests and pastors and leaders in our own homes. This is not just for men. This is also for women. You know, many, uh, if you're homeschooling your kids, the father's working. Maybe he comes home and does Bible. Maybe he doesn't. But the reality is somebody has to teach the kids the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And we have to be able to understand God's word and open it up and have him speak to us. So I call this small-time pastor. And I'm going to be hopefully sending a video out to you every week I hope to start this week, which will take one section and teach us the skills that I've been kind of hospodge hitting around over the last couple of years about how to hear from God through his word. And so we need to take responsibility for our own spiritual life. And the reason for this is I'm hoping that every one of you in here will open up your home for a home Bible study. Just two extra couples it doesn't have to be 50 people. It can be you and two other couples. And so you can get around God's word and you can share your faith with them and, and you can understand it. And you can you can teach it yourself or if you feel uncomfortable doing that, you can get a video that they'll teach and go through a book. But somehow we'll move beyond our cocoons and open up our own homes and invite people to come in to share God's word, to pray, to, to fellowship, to to, bring, to have one-on-one personal evangelism. Maybe some of the people you invite in your home aren't even saved. Because let me tell you, I firmly believe over the next 12 and 18 months, the biggest topic people are going to be talking about ever is going to be biblical prophecy. Because they're going to want to know what in the world is going on. And you have the answer. We have the answer. And so I want to help you this year learn that answer, be able to share that answer, and be hope to people who have no hope. We have those answers, but unless we have the boldness and the knowledge and the desire and the Holy Spirit in us to empower us to share those answers, then the people who come to us with questions are going to be left hanging because it's time for each of us to take responsibility for our spiritual lives. To put that first. Does this mean, oh, my business is going to go under, oh, I'm going to lose my job? Maybe, maybe not. But that's not our primary concern. Our primary concern is to take our our ducks in order spiritually so that we can trust him to do anything he wants to do. And so I'm going to encourage you this week. Here's your assignment. Can you make sure your family members are saved? Have that conversation with them? Don't just accept it like we did Corey. Do you remember? Just don't just accept it that they've grown up in church and yes, they're saved. And I don't know if you remember, but five or six years ago, uh, we're having a baptismal service and the people had to give a testimony of their salvation before they got saved. And Corey came to me that morning and said, I realized I don't have a testimony. I'm not saved exactly. And so we prayed with her. She got saved that very day. The fact is make sure your family members are saved. That's, Your Metron, that's your field of service. Those are the people that are closest to you. Pick up the phone and make that call. Well, if I do, they're going to get offended. Not if they're saved. If they're saved and you ask them that, they should be convicted. can't believe that you would even ask me that. I mean, is there something in my life that doesn't emulate that? Make that phone call to make sure they're truly saved. Because what we need to do as his church is go back and do what the early church did in the beginning. And I'm going to close with this. It's Jesus' word to uh, the church in Ephesus in the church that knew Christ in uh, Revelation chapter 2. And here's what he says. says, nevertheless, in spite of all the good things you've done, I have this against you that you've left your first love, that you used to love me passionately, but you don't anymore. Okay. If God told me that I would cry out and say, well, what do I do? How can I do this? How can I repair that? How can I put you first in everything? Not my business, not my family, not my vacation or my home. You first in everything. And here's what he said. Number one, remember. Number two, repent. And number three is do the first works. You need to remember from where you've fallen. You need to remember who you were and what you were. The one to 10 metric. Remember when you were a 10 when you were closer than you've ever been before in your life. And then repent of whatever it is that has got you where you are now. And then turn around on that repentance and do the things you
1: did in the beginning. Why? Otherwise, I'm going to come to you quickly, and you ain't going to like it. We'll just leave it like that.
0: Unless you repent. Judgment is coming unless we repent. Because things are not going to get better. Things are only going to get worse. And so if the darkness gets darker, then the light in us needs to grow brighter. True? It means we need to maybe do something we feel uncomfortable with, like coming to a Bible study on Tuesday or starting a Bible study on Tuesday or spending some time not watching TV or on Facebook or playing video games or whatever we do and spend some time in God's Word. But I don't know how to study God's Word. I'm going to teach you how to do that and slowly grow to be the people he wants us to be, to
1: use us as he brings this world to a close. Amen? So be encouraged. Let me pray.